Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. We'll be looking in our series on healing, Healing is Ours, about the deaf man who had the speech impediment and some of the things concerning that and around that. And I'm going to read two passages of scripture. The first one is a generic about this time, this, this time frame. The second is a specific incident that happened within that generic time frame. Matthew 15, 29 through 31 says this. Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee. And having gone up to the mountain, he was sitting there. And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, and the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. How many of you know that when stuff like that's going on, you know, I thank God for modern medical science and technology. I do. Uh, we have, in the last three years, uh, been reminded of the limitations of that and how that the human part of it is, you know, just that, the human part. And I thank God for doctors. I do. Most of us who are sitting here today some of us at least would have been dead if it hadn't been for doctors or, or not walking or unable to hear or uh, some other such thing simply because medical science has been sufficient to keep us you know, upright and on two legs. How many of you follow me there? But let's face it, you know, doctors can't do everything. There are limitations. But God. But God. Now let's look at this... <clears throat> Let's, let's look at this, uh, let's, this second passage, Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. And it says, He went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. Decapolis is, is the name of it, but the word literally means ten cities. There were ten little bergs there. And they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they implore him, I, I should say they bring to him, because again, it's the use of the historical present that the uh, authors of the New Testament and Greek writers in general back then would use to add immediacy and presence to it. And they bring to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implore him to lay his hands on him. And Jesus, now watch this. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue. Jesus touched the tongue of the man who had the impediment with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he says to him, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was removed and he began to speak plainly. And he gave orders not to tell 
anyone. But or he, uh, the more he ordered them, the more they widely they proclaimed it. And they were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Amen. I want to draw your attention to Acts chapter 1. This wasn't in my notes, and so Greg doesn't have it back there in the pile. But Luke, who is the author of both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, starts, his, uh, starts the book of Acts with this. In the first account, I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. What, what did Luke mean by that? All the things Jesus began to do and teach, and then he gave orders to the apostles for them to continue to do and teach because he, Jesus, was, going to, was still going to be active through them. As we will, uh, you know, as we saw, well, you know, when in, in Acts chapter 9, Peter saw Aeneas lying in the bed and he had been that way for eight years. And he said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. And so Jesus is still healing today. He's, in, he's still in the same healing ministry. Everybody say amen. Amen. And so the Matthean account says, that, you know, the one in Matthew says that Jesus healed many people during this time. Mark, however, gives us this up close and personal case study of one particular individual. Not deaf and dumb, but deaf with a speech impediment, which would be understandable, un unable to speak clearly or intelligibly. And it says in Mark 7 and 32 that they uh, bring him to Jesus and, uh, uh, and they implore him to lay his hand upon him or lay his hand on So they entreated or implored. They act it's actually the word used in Greek for a call for help. And they did not say, if you can do anything for him. They specifically ask him, put your hand on him. Put your hand on him, Lord. They had faith. Maybe, you know, possibly they were family members um, or friends or, or both, a little of each. And there's no further discussion with Jesus recorded. There was no challenge, no interrogation on his part. He immediately responds to their request. Now, this man was in all likelihood, and I would say it's a 99.9% .9 certainty, that he was not born deaf. Something happened during his life that caused him to lose his hearing. You know, it could have been spinal meningitis. It could have been a blow to the head because that's known to do it. It could be an infection that produced a great fever, which is another thing that could have the same effect. When we were in Texas going to school, there was a young woman in our church there that she spoke, you could understand her, but 
you could tell clearly something was going on because her speech was not clear. And it was because as a girl, she had had meningitis and she had lost her hearing as a, as a direct result. And she, like this gentleman, spoke with difficulty. Now, had he been born deaf, he probably wouldn't be able to speak at all because he would never have been able to hear the words ever. You know, it's one, when you're born deaf, you, may, you, you can learn to read, but you have no idea. You're just looking at the symbols. You have no idea what they sound like, you know. Um, it, it, and so he, and he wasn't born deaf. He did speak, but it was with difficulty and within precision, imprecision, because he could not hear himself. Therefore, he could not control or correct anything that was coming out of his mouth improperly, you know. And it takes a while to get to that place. Once people lose their hearing, at first, uh, their speech is still relatively normal, but over a period of time, they start dropping their consonants and things of that nature because, again, they cannot hear themselves speak. And so he had probably been deaf for a while, maybe even a few years. And he responded to Jesus and obeyed him. So it was difficult to believe that he didn't understand what was going on. Maybe he was a lip reader, uh, you know, because that's not something that, you know, a skill that has just been developed within the last 50 or 60 years. It's been around a very long time. Now, the, one of the interesting parts about this situation, and I want you to remember this because it can have, you know, when you are in a faith fight, you don't need naysayers. You don't need curiosity seekers. You don't need people telling you, you know, well, you know, you know maybe God will, maybe God won't, maybe it's God's will, maybe it, it isn't, stuff like that. We don't need people like that around us. How many of you know what I'm saying there? And in verse 33 of Mark 7, Jesus takes him aside away from the multitude. But the interesting thing is the word that is used there because it is properly translated. Verse 33 again, Jesus took him aside from the crowd. Achlos in the, in the Greek, which means a crowd. It doesn't mean a congregation. It doesn't mean, you know, and... I'll never forget one time when we were kind of just, we'd only been in, in full-time ministry for, I don't know, a year and a half or two years. And I was a little, you know, it's like everything else in life. And that is you have great expectations and you expect God to do certain things. And when it doesn't track as fast or in the direction that you are expecting, it, it would it's easy to become a little discouraged and I, you know, and, and I remember Bruce uh, Black coming and, and when he was preaching and teaching, he says, you know, these stories and they travel all over the country. And he said, you know, these stories about how somebody starts a church in their house and after a month they're up to eight or nine people. And then after six months, they're up to 45 or 50 people. And after a year, they're up to 200 people and they're, they, they can't find a place big enough. And after two years, they're at, you know, 300, 350 people and, that, and like that. And he said, you hear stories like that. And he said, I've traveled long enough and far enough to tell you without fear of successful contradiction. That is exactly what they are, stories. And I took great comfort in that. And I was asking uh, uh, 
Carmen Goodwin, Mom Goodwin, uh, to whom I uh, had introduction uh, through a friend of mine who was married to her uh, niece, and they had fellowshiped with her there in town. And she and her husband, J.R. Goodwin, had been pastors of several very successful works in a uh, major, the Assemblies of God, in a major Pentecostal denomination down in Texas, both in North Central and in South Texas. And they'd been uh, good friends with a number of very major uh, uh, names in the charismatic movement from years gone by. And she and her husband were used mightily in the gifts of the Spirit. And so I always wanted to glean, you know, or harvest, if possible, uh, from her wisdom and from her experience and everything. By the time, by this time, um, I was what, probably 31, 32 years old, maybe 33 at the oldest, and she was already in her mid-80s. And I'll never, you know, forget, you know, I was really discouraged. And she said, you know, we were having a discussion, and she's very Texan. Okay, I'll, I'll warn you in advance. And she said, you know, and I said, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the Lord has something else for us. Maybe this just isn't it because it just doesn't seem to be, you know, doing that much. And she said, you know, I, the way she talked, she was just so sweet. I mean, she could rebuke you and you would say, hit me again. You know, she was just so sweet. And she said, Kevin, honey, you got to stand and you got to believe God right where you are. She said, if you run away from, from what you have right now, Wherever you go, when you pull up in front of your new church, that devil going to be sitting on the front porch picking his teeth, waiting on you. That's pretty graphic, you know. And she said, what, what would you do with a whole big church full of empty people? She said, that isn't a congregation, honey. That's a crowd. I want you to think about that. There is a tremendous amount of wisdom in that. And that is exactly what Mark, the Holy Spirit through Mark, was conveying to us here that a lot of the people standing around were apparently an issue. Because Jesus didn't do things haphazardly. He took this guy apart from the crowd. Now, how exactly all that, you know, came to be worked out and everything, I do not know. But, you know, how he did he say, you know, uh, Peter and John, you guys stay here, keep the crowd. I'm taking this guy over. Or did, you know, uh, just a handful of, you know, just a couple of the, of his, the disciples and a couple of his, the people who were with him come some way he called him out and got him apart from the crowd because many within the crowd were merely curious. They were onlookers and spectators. And, you know, we, we saw it about how people like touching him in curiosity when he went to Jairus's house. And some were sympathetic and some were neutral and some were even antagonistic, you know. And so when we go to verse 37, it says, and they were on... Uh, utterly astonished. Um, you know, it, in fact, the word in Greek means they were astonished to the utmost. They were, they were flabbergasted. 
they were, we would, we might say today, gobsmacked. You know, they were just absolutely at what had happened. It's no exaggeration to say they were shocked, even stunned. I thank God that he is able, if we'll just, you know, just if we'll have a mustard seed of faith, he'll get us there. Can you say amen? I've told you this story before, but it's absolutely the truth that the first time I ever saw God heal somebody as a result of my, my, you know, me praying for them uh, was my best friend. And we'd gone over to his house or his apartment there in Berlin to uh, have dinner. He and his wife had invited us over for Kathy and me over for dinner. And we went up there and when we walked in, I mean, he was in horrible shape. His eyes were all bloodshot and he was wheezing and coughing and everything. And I said, oh, we, you know, no, we we can't, you know, they were willing for us to stay. But I said, no, David, we can't, you know, we got to go. I mean, man, you need to get some rest and everything. I said, but I want to pray for you before we leave. So we prayed, you know, we went down three flights of stairs. The door leading from the building was locked. We walked back up three flights of stairs and knocked on the door so that David could come let us out because every, every resident had a key. And, and those keys were like this. I mean, it was an old German building and it looked like something from a, you know, medieval. But anyway, and when Violet opened the door, his wife, she said, I'm really glad you came. They're from Alabama. I'm really glad you came back. I said, why is that? She said, David... And he comes walking around the corner and he is absolutely well. Well, I'm glad the door was locked because then we got to go ahead and have dinner. And this is before cell phones were invented. And so there was no way for them to get a hold of us until we got home anyway. So, and I'm like, and I jokingly say, but it really is true. He said, I'm healed. And I said, you are? I mean, of course you are. Yeah. Have you ever seen God do what you were expecting him to and you were surprised? Thank you, Jesus. Now remember, I made reference to all the people who were touching him. And he said, you know, somebody touched me. But, you know, Peter says, and he said, who touched me? <laughs> Peter says, Lord, look at all these people around you. It would be easier to try to identify somebody that did not touch you. But one person touched him in faith. And he said, no, somebody did touch me for I was aware that power had gone out of me. And remember when they got to his house, they were mourning and the flute players were there and all that. And he said, the girl has, is not dead. She's but asleep. And they laughed at him. They were mocking him. He put him out. You know what I would have done? Probably. This is real spiritual. I said, think so? Watch this, you nitwits. Raise her from the dead. But he didn't. He put them out. He put unbelief out. Are you with me? All right. And remember at Bethsaida, you know, he led the man out of the village. We talked about that already. And he warned him not to go back in after his healing. Why? Because people... You know, seeing is not believing. That is the truth. Seeing is not believing. I mean, you could come walking back in and you had been, you know, you'd been blind 
and or whatever and come back in and prove to them, demonstrate for them that you are now, well, I mean, how many fingers? Two. Or what am I saying now? Liam went through a period of time when he kept running and saying, what? And he'd come over and we'd talk to him and, he, and we thought, oh, have we got something going on with his hearing? Well, we apparently did because, you know, it, it, now I could stand across the room and go, hey, Bob. Like, and he'll go, what? I mean, he's an eagle ears. And when he's upstairs asleep, be quiet. And I mean, you could go back in. I can hear, I can hear. And people say, you can? Yes, I can. I want you to think about this. When people were born deaf and they hear, they've got to learn to talk. Just think, we, you, uh, you know, when... When we were in Germany in the in the army, and one of my army buddies from Germany sent me a text after watching Sunday morning's message, and he said, I identify should be rendered, I am pretending to be. <laughs> I went, Steph, you're on it there, buddy. That's good. I like it. Um but we had a TV, we bought a TV over at the Post Exchange that you could flip back and forth between PAL, which was the European system of television, and NTSC, which was the American uh, uh, system of TV. And so I could go over and what I could watch German TV. And it is weird to hear German coming out of John Wayne's mouth. <laughs> I want you to know. And furthermore, I don't know who it is they picked to be his like this. But you expect the Duke. You know, you would think that they would get somebody. Now this guy talked like this. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, this is horrible. But imagine if you're born deaf, the Lord opens your ears. And people are standing around going, can you hear anything? Can you hear anything? And they're looking at you. Why? All he hears is noise. Unless the Lord teaches them English, German, French, you know, Russian, Swahili, Farsi, whatever it is, Arabic, what, you know, Hebrew, whatever it is they're supposed to be. You know, how many of you follow me? You know, we talk about Bethsaida. He led that man out of Bethsaida and warned him not to go back in. And in Luke chapter uh, 10 and verse 13 through 15. Listen to what he says. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre. And if you've read Ezekiel, you, you, know, you know about that. And Sidon in the judgment than for you. He rebuked the cities. He said, and you, Capernaum, that was where he lived. You won't be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Sheol. Now, the word in Greek that is used there is Hades, or we would say Hades, or we might say hell, but I'm sure he was speaking Aramaic and would have said Sheol. There was much unbelief in those cities. There was much resistance, so much that he pronounced judgment. You know what it talked about? He says, if they don't receive you, go out and shake off the dust of your feet. 
and protest against them. We saw in the previous meeting with the Pharisees present here in Mark, he entered again, verse chapter 3, he entered again into a synagogue and a man was there whose hand was withered. We discussed that several weeks ago. And they were watching to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. They didn't give a hoot and holler about the man or, or, or whether he was restored or not. You talk about hard-hearted. They were just there to see if they could trip this popular rabbi up in something. They saw the miracle and it was a manifestation, not a healing, but it didn't, because he didn't touch him, but it didn't change their attitude. When Lazarus came forth from the grave, some of the people present ran to the Pharisees and told them, you better get a hold of this. Their hard-heartedness grieved the Lord and made him angry because it was keeping other people from receiving. In Mark chapter 6, notice the methodology here. Jesus went from there and comes, historical present again, into his hometown. And his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hand. Now, wait a minute. Were they seeing miracles? The answer is no. Because if you read on, it says, you know, it says, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. Well, that was true because there was at one point that Mary and his brothers came to take, uh, take uh, custody of him because they said he's lost his mind. That's in, the, that's in there, folks. And he, it says he could do no miracle there except he laid his hands on a few sickly people. The Greek's pretty explicit that, you know, the headaches, you know, the congestion, stuff like that. Nothing major. Nothing like a guy who was deaf and had a speech impediment. Nothing like, a, like blind eyes being open or a lame man or somebody had, you know, uh, getting up and carrying their bed. You know, it says, and he could do no miracle there. But back up. And it says, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom to give again? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. What do they mean by these miracles? Because they weren't seeing any there. He was telling them about the things that God had done through him in other places. You know, it's not, you know, it is not a bad thing for a minister who has seen God do things through him or her to get up in front of the crowd and say, this is what God did here. This is what God, I loved it when Paul was, you know, their, their first time back from Paraguay, when they were sharing the awesome things that they had seen. Did that not encourage your heart? 
Paul wasn't up here saying, look at me, I'm somebody. He was bragging on Jesus. Well, Jesus was bragging on the Father. Saying, look at all the things. He, you know, we don't think about Jesus going around and saying, well, I was down at Nazareth, and this guy came up, and he was, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and the Father set him free. We saw 35 people healed of this, that, and the other thing. My disciples are here. They will tell you that they, they were there. They were working. They were having to really hustle up to keep up with all the things that God was doing. What was he trying to do? He was trying to build their faith. He was trying to get them to believe. Something about this crowd with this guy with the deaf ears and the speech impediment, Jesus didn't even try that. He just led the guy away from him. There are people... If you're going to believe God and you're in the middle of a faith fight, there are people with whom you will not be able to fellowship except in small spurts, if that. One of the things that I'm certain that Jesus did when he preached somewhere for the first time, we read in the Gospels, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me. I believe he preached that wherever he went, every time, to tell them, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. If you'll believe me, if you'll believe it, God will be able to do something for you. But the people there in his hometown didn't believe it. They were offended. It says, he marveled, Mark 6 and 6, and he was gobsmacked at their unbelief. And he was going around the village's teaching. Their unbelief didn't keep him from fulfilling his ministry. And everybody said, Amen. Psalm 78 and 41 said about Israel in the wilderness, Yea, they turned back. This is King James. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. I know when you read the New American Standard, it says that they... Um, pained or vexed. And, and that word can be translated that way. But elsewhere, the word is actually used for border. A border, which is a limit. And we go back to Mark chapter 6 and verse 5, talking about in his hometown. It says, he could do no miracle there. It doesn't say he would do no miracle. It says he could do no miracle there. You know, one of the things during the Voice of Healing revivals when they had, you know, the tents crisscrossing uh, America and, and things were, you know, were great things were happening. One of the things that those preachers knew was to get the people into, they would preach to try to get the people into a state of expectation. It's not hype. It's not blather. It's not suggest, you know, mental suggestion. It is giving people the scripture and speaking that word into their heart. Notice it says he was going around the villages teaching. That's what he would do. He would give them the word. He would teach the word. Many places it says they came to hear and be healed. Well, clearly the uh, deaf guy didn't hear anything. 
And so what we have here is a manifestation of, you know, a, a manifestation of the spirit. But when, um, when, you know, the, the, and talking about the tents, 1948 through 59, and as they were, they would get the people in a sense of expect, a sense of expectation. One of the, uh, the major evangelists of the day was, uh, uh, you talk about God using some rough characters. This guy was a rough character, but he had a just nearly daredevil faith. And you've heard me share this story. And some of you know who, about whom I am referring or to whom I'm referring. And I, and he looked up and he saw a bunch of people coming into the, to the, to the meeting late at, and, and he asked, he says, who, who are all you all? And there were a bunch of people who had come in a bus from a um, institution or school for the deaf. And they'd brought them in, like a dozen people. And he said, bring them down here to the front. And he went down through there and prayed for each and every one of them. And all 12 of them, or 13 or however many there were, every one of them had their ears opened. Every one of them received their healing. What a spectacular thing. And the atmosphere became electric because people are just watching this happen and they're saying, God is here. God is doing something. Or in preacher parlance, the waters are troubled. And so Jesus would do that. He would preach. He would teach from the word. He would show them that God loved them. He would minister, you know, the spirit to proclaim liberty to the, uh, to the captives, to set at liberty them that are bruised, etc. And to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then he would stop right there and not go on to say the day of vengeance of our God. And tell them the Lord is moving. He is here. He loves you. Come and receive. And all the people in his hometown, they, they had what I've heard called powder butt syndrome. You know, they knew him as a little boy and they couldn't get past that. I used to powder his butt when he was just a baby. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And when the crowd's not with you, when they're doubting, it affects everything. Trying to, <laughs> I heard one guy put it like this. Here you are trying to receive from God with the hot breath of unbelief right on your neck. And if it hindered Jesus, trust me, it'll hinder us too. Proverbs 14 and 7 says this, Leave the presence of a fool or you will not discern words of knowledge. Jesus communicates with the man to get him on board. I don't, I don't know if the fellow read lips or what, but anyway, he put his fingers in his ears. I think that was a signal to him, this is what we're doing. I believe that is what, you know, and I'm sure that's what the Holy Spirit had, me, had him do. Kind of like sign language. Spitting on his finger and then placing the saliva on the man's tongue. Now, some of the Jews of the day believed that saliva had healing properties. I don't. And Jesus signaled, showing the man exactly what to expect. Then he looks up toward heaven and it says he sighs deeply. That was a prayer. Because as Paul tells us, 
over in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, with sighs, with words that cannot be articulated. It can also be rendered groan. He looked up and, (sighs) I believe he was appealing to the Father. And Jesus is praying, but his posture lets the man know what he's doing, that something is coming from above. Ephatha, the Aramaic word for be open or be completely open. Spoken to the man. Ephatha, be open. And he wouldn't say that to Jesus or to the to the Father. He spoke to the man. Well, this man can't hear. Well, he can now. Calling those things that be not as though they were. And not only that, when he said Ephata, it is in the imperative. It was a command, not a request. And the man instantly heard, and his speech impediment was healed instantly. Even if, in a natural sense, if you have gotten to where your speech is imprecise and it is difficult to understand because you have not heard yourself in years, now that you can hear yourself again, it's been so long since you've heard it, it's going to take you a while in a normal situation to get back to the place that you are speaking clearly. But God taught this guy how to talk on the spot. Boom. Just like you know the, uh, the people who had never walked were able to walk. Think about that. They didn't have to learn. God just put the muscle memory in them. Boom. There are a lot of things I wish God would do for me. Just teach me how to do this. Just screw the top off my head, pour it in. <laughs> you know, shake well. His speech impediment was healed. He spoke clearly. And there must have been just First, there was astonishment, and I'm sure there was great rejoicing. And he warned them sternly not to tell anyone what had happened. Now, many scholars think that this was because Jesus didn't want huge crowds coming. I don't think so. I think it was more likely for the benefit of the the man himself. Because when you think about the way the people at Lazarus' tomb went immediately to tell the Pharisees, And they didn't believe. Remember that they accused Jesus of doing miracles by Baal-Zabul. They thought he was a sorcerer. Since his theology was sideways with theirs, they immediately assumed he was a heretic. They immediately assumed he was a demonic plant and that he's trying to take away their nation and, and their place. And so opposition was building. And the enemy can talk you out of your miracle if you let him. Even after you've received it. You know, it says they went out and proclaimed it all the more. So even though now that he he could hear, he didn't listen. I mean, it is possible that that's what brought the huge crowds mentioned in Matthew chapter 15. 
That might have been done at the front when I read that at the very first. The language indicates a very large group of people, quite possibly the result of the testimony of this man and his friends. Because he mentioned Decapolis. Others had gone off into Decapolis talking about the wonderful things that God had done for them. And so there had been a number, number of missionaries, so to speak. If our musicians would come, we'll go ahead and bring this in for landing here. Um, still more miracles began to follow as their faith begins to grow because they stayed there for three days. Having exhausted all of the provisions they had brought with them. And we know that because he said, they have remained with me here for three days. They didn't have anything to eat. We know what happened after that. So, I am so excited that we don't look around you right now and make a judgment on what things are going to be like in a year based on what you're seeing right now. Because I assure you, the, the storm is rolling on the shore. The waves are, you know, it's, it's beyond beach erosion at this point. You know, the storm surge is coming in. And people are going to be, you know, people, you know, people just oblivious to everything. But I think more and more people are beginning to get a clue that we're in trouble. And it's going to get to the point that even a 12-year-old kid with half a brain and one eye open will know it. All right. And when wonder workers arise, and that is exactly what God expects of us. He expects us. I love Paul sitting back here. I love the way he said, the way he told the story. He said, okay, y'all go out and don't come back until you see a miracle. Uh, why? <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of thing like, ooh, you know. And I love the fact that he's still hooked hunting for his miracle, and Tracy's already said, oh, we've seen ours, we're on our way back. <laughs> this is just so wrong, Lord. I want you to know that I can tell you without fear of successful contradiction that in the future, most, people, most people's options for getting a physical, getting physical relief from sickness and disease are going to be quite narrow and limited. And the option, and the more limited the options are, the more they are going to need God. And when they are being fed, they will not mind staying for three days. They will not mind that they are exhausting their, you know, um, lunchables that they brought to tide them over. And we will see miracles. We will see, we will, you know, we already are at a, at a certain level. But it's nowhere near what I want to do. It's nowhere near what God wants to do. And the reason we're even teaching on this series is because faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. I told you how in Germany when my pastor had all but punctured his eyeball doing a stupid stunt with a 
with a rubber band how that, that same fellow that got healed when I went up and prayed for him, that was David. David and I are in his barracks room walking back and forth and back and forth and praying and all like that. And David got real excited and said, God, the fire of God's going to fall and God is going to consume the buttocks. I said, what? And I, he said, I said, that's bullocks, David. <laughs> you have to know there was laughter in heaven. <laughs> he went, what did I say? <laughs> you said buttocks. <laughs> Forest. <laughs> but the longer we prayed, God would, and fine, I knew what to do. I knew what to do. I knew that God had told me to spit on my thumb and to wipe it on his eye. I didn't want to do that because I was thinking, well, I read Jesus did something like that in the Bible, so I don't want to, you know, I'm just, that's just me. Dude, he's our example. And when it comes to you, now, we don't just go out and pull the trigger on something like that. You know, go wash in the pool of whatever, something like that. We don't do that just willy-nilly. But when those things come to us, we shouldn't be suspicious that we think that, you know, we're just wanting to be like Jesus. Yes, we are wanting to be just like Jesus. And yes, we are ready to walk in his footsteps. And would it, should it be surprising that the Father would have us do something very similar, that the Holy Spirit would lead us to do something very similar? Or he would be standing there in the Spirit and said, this is what I did. I want you to do it too. Okay? And finally, I couldn't get away from it because we were getting nowhere fast. We were praying, we were calling down all the glory of heaven. He wasn't healed and we're mispronouncing words. And finally I said, Keith, I think God wants me to do something. And you've heard me tell this story probably 50 times. He said, I know what it is, just do it. And so I did. And he was not 100% healed. I honestly believe with all my heart if I had done it just as the Lord had shown me, when he had shown me, he would have been completely healed. But as it was, he only got about 80, 85 percent. But it was sufficient for him to be able to get on the airplane and leave for Israel, which is what it was about to keep him from doing. The doctor, the ophthalmologist, was shocked when he looked in there. He said, well, I see it, but like, what happened? And Keith told him, he said, two of the guys from my church prayed for me. And um, Lord touched my eye. And he said, well, you're good to go. What an, what an awesome thing. And let me tell you something. You've heard the phrase, if you build a better mousetrap, the world will be the path to your door. When it gets out that you pray for people and they get healed, I promise you, word of mouth will bring people across your path. Your phone will start to ring. Your doorbell will start to ring. You know, And hopefully it doesn't get to the point that it's obnoxious. But my point is, God, when, when God, when a wonder worker arises, and I'm believing that in this next move, we're not just going to have a few wonder workers who are, you know, famous, you know, uh, all-stars. 
but that we're going to see an army of people out there touching everyone who is interested in receiving from God and ears opening, eyes opening, legs, you know, fingers growing back, arms, legs, all of that. I believe God wants to do some. In fact, uh, several individuals, to include Smith Wigglesworth, prophesied that the Lord was going to do greater things in the last days than we saw even in the book of Acts. Make it so, Lord. And start tonight. Start with us. Lord, we hunger and thirst for the greater gifts. Paul said, covet earnestly the greater gifts. And Lord, you wouldn't tell us to covet something that it was not your will for us to have. Lord Jesus, you said the Holy Spirit would guide us into all the truth and show us things to come. Make it so, Lord. Raise up a people, a people of power, a people of wisdom, a people of compassion. Because, Lord, we live in a really, really messed up world. And I know you've noticed. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But, Lord, there are people out there that you, that you want us with one touch for those demonic spirits to flee and for them to be set completely free. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand. Those of you watching by web, thank you for joining us. If you are not a believer, or if a believer has shown you this, I want to encourage you because in the days in which we are living, it is becoming evident who has the spirit and who does not, who has the life and who has not the life. Jesus himself said, you must be born again. He even told the Pharisees, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And there is one way to heaven, and his name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And when you believe in him and you, ex you embrace him, not just some little formula prayer, but a true heart commitment, believing loyalty, to Jesus of Nazareth, where you say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Father, I believe that Jesus is your Son. I believe that you have raised Him from the dead. The Scripture says it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, how horrible your life has been up to this point. How defeated you may have been. He will in no wise turn you away. He will receive you. But you must come to Him in faith, believing. And you must commit to him. It's not enough to say, oh yeah, Jesus is son of God. I believe that. No, you've got to talk to him and invite him in. Christian, God has great things for you. God wants you. God wants your hands to be healing hands. God wants your lips to be lips of knowledge and healing lips. And he wants to give you the eyes of Jesus, the eyes of compassion, the eyes of love, eyes that see needs. 
eyes that cause the enemy to flee because of the fire that burns within them. And that means a commitment. Press in. Don't nibble around the edges. Get in. All the way in. Get in fellowship. Get in. Because God has a ministry He wants to perform through you. You may not start big. You may just start with little stuff like rearranging chairs or something. But I promise you, if you'll stay faithful, God will use you in ways you never thought possible. You are blessed to live at the perfect time in history to be greatly used of God. But you're going to have to believe Him. And you're going to have to forget about all the failures you've had in the past and all the people who've hurt you, Christians who have hurt you, and all of the things that they have said and done that cause you to not want to have anything to do with the people of God again. That's the enemy. Jesus is calling you home and calling you out to be a doer of his word. Amen. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center or at our website, ICC Family, all one word, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.